I am a little bit of a rebel, so I'm going to move my mic stand. <laughs> Sorry, I think I warned Martin that I'll do this earlier this morning. I'd like to be a little bit more. Um, so, let me, I don't need that microphone anyway. So, I hope you don't feel too lonely over there. <laughs> Can you put up the first screen for me, please? Good morning. Good morning. So good to be here again. And I always get a wonderful welcome. Thank you so much. Um, the, the title of my talk, or my sermon this morning, is about the heart of worship. What does that actually mean? And last week, Sunday, I was talking to Andy Scott Evans, who most of you are aware uh, he's the headmaster of um, Beckett Keys Church of England School in Shenfield. Our Brentwood, and um, and he was telling me a story last week, which he shared with 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 the church a couple of weeks prior to that, that one of his teachers, um, who isn't yet a Christian, um, has a has a heart condition, and one of the things that they do at the school is that that every teacher has to be involved with leading worship at the, at the school for, for for about half an hour or so. I don't, I'm not entirely sure about the detail, whether it's once a week or every day. Um, but, but whether or not you're a Christian, you have to lead worship, or at least participate in, in the worship life of, of the school. And this particular teacher, she has, she has a heart condition. And she was traveling to and forth. Um, I think she's Australian, and she was traveling to and forth there. And the doctor is monitoring her heart condition and her heart palpitations on a regular daily basis and very recently she went to the doctor again just to do a final checkup and he was saying you know your heart is fine it's getting better but there's a bit of fluctuation here and there but I've noticed that the the signals from your heart are the best on a particular time um, each week between 9.30 and 10 o'clock I think can you just explain to me, what is it that you do during that time? <laughs> and she was able to respond and say, well, actually, actually, I lead worship during that time, or I'm participating in worship during that time. The power of worship. And she's not yet a Christian. <laughs> Very interesting, isn't it? Um, so I thought I'd talk, talk about this, um, this topic this morning. It's not one of the regular topics that we do um, at Billericay Baptist, um, but it's a really important ministry. It's a really important um, part of, of, of church life, but also not necessarily just about church life, but also about our own personal walk with Jesus. Amen? Yes. Amen. And, and it's a big topic, and it could easily be a three- or five-part series, and we don't have <laughs> that amount of time this morning, so I'm going to whiz right through. Um, Many of you know that, that I am Jamaican. I grew up in Jamaica, and one of the great things about Jamaica is not just about the beaches and the lovely, amazing people, um, but also the food. Uh, and one of the things that we do in, in, in the Caribbean, or particularly in Jamaica, is that because of its influence between Asia and Africa and, and, and Spanish, some parts of Europe as well, um, and India, there's a the smorgasbord of lots of different types of dishes. And we might have a main dish of some jerk chicken and some nice spicy food and stuff. But around it, you have a palette of, of 
whether it's rice and peas or some fried plantains or other bits and bobs or some vegetables, etc., etc. So, that I say, over the next few minutes, you'll have to and, and, and pick up different chunks of different elements of, of, of my sermon this morning. Um, some might, might have some form of Jamaican in there, so to speak. So I'm going to explain why we worship, what is worship, and how should we worship. The first thing is, why do we worship? Revelation 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the first reason for worship is that we were created to worship. Amen? That's the first reason. There's no other reason and no other major reason for the fact that, apart from the fact that Jesus, our Lord of, uh, and Savior, created us for worship. He created us for God's pleasure. And so in other words, we are wired to worship. But not only were we created to worship, but God wants us to worship him. He created us as beings to worship, but God wants us to worship him, no matter what the cost is. And if we're not worshipping God, we tend to substitute him for something or someone else. We all know that, whether it's a smartphone or, or our favorite musicians or, or footballers or football club or something like that. If we're not worshipping God, we substitute him with something or someone else. One of my favorite stories is in Daniel chapter 3. And many of you know this about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when King Nebuchadnezzar decreed that the people should bow down and worship the idol of gold that he, um, that he had made. And if they didn't do that, they'd be thrown into the fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the image of gold. Their response was simple. They knew that God was able to deliver them. But whether or not he did, they were still going to worship the one true God. In verse 18 of Daniel chapter 3, um, But even if he does not save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship, or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And the king got angry and threw them into the blazing furnace. But they were saying, dead or alive, we're not going to worship anyone else. And we know the result of that story. They were miraculously rescued in the fiery furnace. And the king then promoted them in the province of Babylon and told everyone in his kingdom, you need to worship the living God. There's a flip, a 180 degree turn in his whole attitude from worshipping this gold or this idol that I've set up to, you know what, I got it completely wrong. You need to worship the living God. These three guys were in a fiery furnace and they were saved. There's something amazing about this person, this person or this God who they worship. The three men honored God and God honored them back. 
And when we honored God with, with our own worship, he tends to honor us back. Every single time. Amen? The second reason that we worship is because God first loved us. 1 John 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. It's our natural response to God's love. If someone loves you and has poured out their lives to you or their life to you and has given you everything that you have and has given you love and has showed you such passionate love, your natural response is to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to love you back, man. God poured out his life for us. And our most appropriate response is to say, you know what, Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done and for what you're going to do in my life. So that's a why. So what is worship? You won't be surprised to hear that worship is not about the music or the singing or the lifting of hands and the various expressions of worship. They're helpful, but they're simply just expressions. Music is a wonderful tool for worship, which I'm going to talk about a whole lot more later on. But at the heart of it, the heart of worship is much more than just about the music. Mark 12:28, a teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied in verse 30, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, worship comes from such a deep place within us. It's such a powerful outpouring of our hearts towards the Lord. And it represents such love and gratitude and devotion. That sometimes we cannot put that into words. Worship is, is about loving Jesus with our entire being. All our hearts, all our minds, all our souls. And showing gratitude to him. And it results from intimacy with God. Spending time with Him. A lot of times people talk to me about being a Christian is a religion. And I'm saying, no, it's not. It's not a religion for me anyway. I'm not working myself up to try and please this ultimate superior being. Christianity for me is about a relationship. It's about spending time with a person who has laid down their life for me. It's about a relationship. And worshipping God comes out of that relationship. Comes out of that intimacy that we have with Jesus. What about the time when the Samaritan woman by the well asked Jesus about where is the right place and, the, and how should we worship? And Jesus responded in John 4 verses 23 to 24. Read this with me please. On the screen, the second one. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus wants true worshippers. Worship is so much more than just singing songs. It's a condition of the heart and it's a state of mind. We can even worship God passionately without singing a single note. Do you believe that? Our worship for God is born in our hearts. It fills our thoughts and it is expressed through the words we speak and the way we live. Verse 24 says that God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. I find it very interesting that that he doesn't just want anyone to worship him. Not just anybody. If you're going to worship him, you've got to be genuine. He wants genuine people who sincerely live in his truth. And he does not want to be worshipped out of fear or obligation or religion. Jesus' reply to the Samaritan woman was basically, it doesn't really matter where you worship or when you worship. What really matters is about having a sincere heart. It starts from the heart. It starts from the core. It starts from the deep within yourself. It's a deep, deep, deep level of intimacy. But worship starts from the heart. The song by Matt Redmond, The Heart of Worship, which we sang earlier. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is, it's not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. It's not about my actions and, and the lifting of hands and how wonderful your voice is. It's the attitude of the heart. Anyone can sing, but when we sing out of gratitude and love with the right heart, that's when we enter into worship. going to play a video with Matt explaining um, that song, but let's move on. Next one. Right, so how should we worship? So I started off by saying that worship is about the heart and not about the music. But music helps, (laughs) right? We all know that. We can have lots of music and singing, but if our hearts and spirits aren't engaged, then none of it reaches God. But music is powerful, and it helps us to express our love and gratitude to God in worship. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's a command, isn't it? You should sing. You should make noise and should shout and should um, worship God with singing. But we should do it with thankful hearts. 
It's very interesting, I find, that singing also strengthens us during trials and testings and difficulty. Do you remember when Paul, Paul and Silas were in jail in Acts chapter 16? And about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. You see, praising and worshipping God through music, singing breaks the chains of oppression and depression. It loosens the shackles of anxiety and tension and shakes the very foundations of our fears. Praise leads to breakthrough. Whatever breakthrough that you've been waiting for in your prayers to God for salvation of your children or whatever it is, whatever breakthrough that you've been praying for comes through worship. Worship also drives out demons. When Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, what did he do to calm his own spirit? He didn't actually start singing. What he did, he called David to play over him. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 23, whenever the spirit from God, that was evil, evil spirit, came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better and the evil spirit will leave him. Worship. So powerful. It can calm the heart of an unbeliever, of an unbelieving teacher. It can break through, provide breakthroughs for us in our prayer lives and in our, in our daily walk with God. And it shakes the very foundations of any, any problems that we're going through. And if you do want a breakthrough in your life, spend some time praising and worshipping God. We can also use our bodies to express our love and gratitude and total surrender. You don't need me to tell you this. There are so many scripture references about clapping your hands and lifting up your hands in the sanctuary and praising the Lord. Um, we all don't engage in the same way. Some people prefer, prefer to, to, to raise their hands. Some people prefer to clap. Different denominations have different, different styles as well. Lamentations 2 verse 19, that, that, uh, that, fourth, that fourth one there, talks about pouring out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. And that verse talks about not just lifting our hands and engaging our bodies, but it's also about engaging our emotions. Pour out your heart like water. So when we're worshipping, we should be engaging our emotions as well, not just our bodies. Second Samuel 6, verse 14 to 23. Um, I just mentioned one verse there, but... David was willing to dance before the Lord. And he was willing to get unified. And even though Saul's daughter, Michal, um, when she saw him dancing half naked 
in full view. Well, I, I presume it was his top off. <laughs> um, and he was dancing in full view of lots of other people. And she pretty much told him off. And David said, it was, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from, from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. So I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this. In other words, I don't really care what you think, mate. I'm going to dance before my Lord. He took me out of the miry pit and from the clay when I was, when I was under stress and I nearly died. He saved me from my own enemies. I'm going to dance before my God and I don't care what you think. You remember when, um, when England beat Colombia last summer in the, in the World Cup they got to the semi-finals and no one expected, expected us to get that far did they and there was euphoria and the players and the fans and the entire country went up in, in celebration there was, there was jubilance everywhere jubilation everywhere everyone got excited people were raising their hands and they were clapping and they were hugging people who they didn't even know. <laughs> and they were celebrating. And the thing is, when you do that, you're called a fan. But when you go to church and you want to raise your hand and you want to celebrate and you want to shout, people call you religious fanatics. I'd rather be a fanatic for Jesus than a fan of any celebrity or, or football team or country. And the thing is, fanatics don't, they don't apologize for what they're doing. And neither should we need to apologize. And I could spend the rest of the morning giving references about expressive worship, but you get the picture. So I would encourage you to be bold. Be bold in your expressions of worship. Feel free to express your worship to God. And it might encourage others as well. Of course, we're all at different stages of our lives. Some of us in our 20s, some of us in our 90s, or, or, or you know, centurions or whatever. Of course, God focuses on the heart. But if you do want to express your Feel free, not just to stand and put your hands by your side. If you want to do something else, feel free to do that. Jesus appreciates it, I would think. <laughs> so many different um, ways of expressing that. The thing that, that interests me as well is, is the fact that um, in Revelation, it talks about Loss of worshipping and singing in heaven. So in a sense, we should be practicing from now, shouldn't we? <laughs> so I talked about music, how we worship God through music and singing, how we worship God through our bodies and raising of hands and dancing or kneeling 
falling prostrate before him. So many different um, ways of expressing worship. But we also worship God by putting him first in our lives. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the second verse there in in chapter 6 verse 13, I won't read it, but it's that last part talks about and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So worship is giving our lives back to God. All of our life, everything that we do should be an act of worship to God. Worship is our response to God, the one who created us for his pleasure. And if you've given your heart to God, then true worship reflects lives that are completely abandoned and completely sold out to Jesus. So worship at its core is seeking God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our strength, all our minds. And we worship him by committing our lives completely to him and by putting him first in everything that we do. F-I-R-S-T. I I saw this acronym the other day and I thought I'd nick it from um, Canon J. John. First in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationships, our schedule, and then our thoughts. F-I-R-S-T. And I'll quickly run through them in the next five minutes. In our finances, of course, we know that there's nothing wrong um, with wealth. But our self-indulgence can stifle our love for God and stop us from worshipping. How we spend our money reveals what's important to us. Isn't that right? The best use of our money, though, is using it to get people into heaven. Rick Warren said, too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. God owns everything that we have and all our money, all our finances, all our possessions are on loan to us. We're just temporary stewards of God's provision. Naked we came into this world and naked we will return. Is anyone going to be going to heaven? Because of the way in which you use your money. Whether it's buying them a Bible, so many millions of different options. Helping the homeless, supporting different charities, or supporting individuals in crisis. Put God first in our finances. Secondly, our interests, our careers, our hobbies, our recreational activities. We worship God by using our talents and abilities and careers for him. Worship happens in the heart every day and all the time. Colossians 3 verse 17 there says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is how God wants us to worship him. So when we go to work, our mentality should be, 
God's your boss. Not the CEO or the school principal or the UK government, or certainly not the UK government at this time, <laughs> in the midst of crisis, crisis, not showing too much leadership, but hey, we move on very, very quickly from Brexit. Um, so I should have a great work ethic and be the most reliable at work or in my neighborhood, in my community. Whatever we do, whatever our interests are or our talents, God gave them all to us and our worshipful response to him is to use them for his glory. Also in our relationships, <clears throat> Exodus 34 verse 14 do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In other words, Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him and absolutely no one else. God doesn't care about our sacrifices or our offerings. He doesn't care about religion or religious activities or how many times you go to church. God cares about our heart. God cares about our relationship with him. <clears throat> he wants our love. And he wants us to be real with him. I remember uh, just, a, just about a week or so <clears throat> before I got married, um, Christine and I um, took marriage counseling. Um, we had a three-year long-distance relationship. She was in Jamaica, um, <clears throat> and I was here living here for, um, for a while whilst I was doing my studies. So we went back. Um, our pastor at the time said you, you know, in the counseling session um, you guys are going to want to spend a lot of time together because you spend so much time apart um, but if you want to be able to do that and put God at the center of your marriage please and you may have heard this before you know, picture it as a triangle and God at the apex at the top <clears throat> and both of you at the two corners of the base and the closer you get to God, the closer you automatically get to each other. And that is true not just about marital relationships, but also about any of the relationships that we have with anyone. Especially if we're Christians. You know, if, we, if we put God at the center of our relationship, the closer we get to him, the more that we spend time with him and worshiping him, the closer we get automatically, in a sense, to each other. It's hard to worship God and put him first in our relationships and still malice the person who is sitting next to you. It's very, very difficult. Put God at the center of our relationships. Also put God at the center of our schedules. Is God first on your agenda? When you wake up in the mornings, what is the first thing that you do? <laughs> well, apart from certain things that we need to do sometimes, but what are the first few things that we do when we get up in the mornings? What is it? Um, what are our priorities? I recently deleted a couple of social media apps from my phone because I found out that, you know, yeah, particularly for Lent anyway, but, but over the last few weeks, priorities prior to Lent, I was, first thing that I looked at was I picked up my phone from my bedside table and searched for my messages and emails and, and, and then I went on Facebook because someone sent me another message 
then I went on WhatsApp, and then I went on Instagram, and, then I, yeah, and before I knew it, I spent an hour of my time, first thing in the morning, wasting time, <laughs> effectively. Is God first in our schedule? Seven days without God makes one week. W-E-A-K. Let's not worship God only on Sundays. Psalm 55 verse 17 there says, Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. God was part of David's rhythm. It's a good model for us to follow. And this is where prayer and worship really do come together. When you pray, you are preoccupied with, our, with, with your needs. When you praise, you tend to focus on your blessings. But when you worship, you focus on God. Be simple and honest and cry out when, when you're spending time in devotions, when you're spending time worshipping him. Don't role play before God like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. Don't role play. Be simple and honest before him. Be real before him. Pray and worship continually. And the, sh- and the focus will shift from you to God. Focus will shift from your, your own personal needs to, you know what, God, you're so amazing. Let me just forget all this that's happening in my heart and in my mind and what I'm worried about. And I just want to just give you my heart. I just, want to, I just want to spend time with you and just worship you. And sing songs of praise to you and so on. And then finally, in our thoughts. Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why worry? The more we think about our problems, the bigger they get. And when everything is falling apart, who do you turn to first? If we prayed as much as we worried, we would have a lot less to worry about. Worries about our health, our job, our retirement, our families, our relationships, our money. The battleground of the enemy is in our minds. And if we turn that over to God, amen, there will be a transformation in how we think. There will be a transformation in our circumstances. 90% of the things that we worry about never ever happen. Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Give your worries to God. And when we have nothing left but God, then we realize that God is more than enough. So in conclusion, how's your worship life? More than just the singing. The music is great and amazing and it helps us. But how is your worship life? 
How's your heart? Is Jesus first in your life? <clears throat> Do you give him your all? And if we're willing to have no other gods, then we can have God. What place is Jesus in your life? The choice is ours. Jesus wants us to be true worshippers, where there is intimacy with God. And I encourage you, worship God today with your whole heart, your entire being. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Put him as number one in our lives. First in our finances, our interests, our relationships, our, our schedules, our schedules, and our thoughts. There's a quote from St. Augustine. Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. To some people, Jesus is nothing. To others, Jesus is a something. But then there are those to whom Jesus is everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for who you are. We give our worship to you. We give our lives to you. We respond in having the right heart of worship. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Amen.